Our main focus this week on Tiahika is journalism and how the media cover stories involving Māori. As we look ahead, 2008 is shaping up to be an interesting year in politics and for those covering this year's election. Tiahika talks to a wahine whose role it is to report on the Māori aspect of politics. Growing up around lawyers and legal beagles has helped me in terms of my analysis of the legislation that passes through this house and the way it affects our people. We talked to a man who has traversed the South Island using the old Pounamu trails. You know, today you, you do it with a lot of modern equipment and, you know, good boots and Gore-Tex coats and packs and dry food and all sorts of things. I find it very humbling when you think about the equipment that our ancestors had. It was far more basic. And on Ngā Taonga Kōrero, we hear from the late Tumanako Teka, otherwise known as Prince Tuiteka. Ko te tuatahi. The media has sometimes been accused of not catering for the Māori perspective on certain stories. This isn't a new issue, but if it is true, then how exactly do newsrooms from around the motu deal with providing the Māori perspective in its pages and bulletins? Carol Archie is a Pākehā journalist who began plying her trade as a cadet for the NZBC in the mid-1960s. She has covered a number of events involving tangata whenua. Last year, Carol Archie produced Pau Kōrero, a journalist's guide to Māori and current affairs. The book sets out to do exactly what the title states, help journalists cover Māori issues. David Reid is a journalist who hails from Scotland, in other words, he is the target audience for Pau Kōrero. David told Tiahi Khan what he thought of Pau Kōrero, and especially the way Karolachi covered the issues pertaining to the Treaty of Waitangi. I thought it set the scene of the book, uh, Tanara. I thought it was a, 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 an excellent introduction because it, a, a just, it's a sort of a cut-out-and-keep history. It's 15 pages at most, um, uh, but it, it, it sort of allows just you to get a sense of um, the major events, if nothing else, and 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 I think it's she she really wants to reinforce Carol Archie, the the author, really wants to reinforce that this is where it starts and this is what this is where all the issues spring from. So I had heard most of the history before. Um, we do have a Maori module at the Massey course which I attended, and um, w- what it allowed me to do was just refresh my memory on that. And um, it, it also made quite the, uh, an easy entrance into the book because I thought, oh, I know this, or at least that, that reminds me that I know this or had learned this before. So, yeah, I did find it useful, and I also think it helped inform me as to the mindset of, of where people might be coming from within New Zealand from both sides of the equation. Uh, uh. The course that you did at Massey, did it cover the events or the issues surrounding the treaty? Was it similar to what you uh, read in the book? I think the main similarity was the looking at the interpretations of the treaty and how the words were interpreted. At the Massey course, we looked quite in depth at that and and how um, Pakeha would would view it, or Europeans would view it, or or how um, Maori would view it. And I um, and and this book very briefly touches on that. But that was the main thing that sprung out to me as being something that needed to be considered and, and taken away from it and, and just borne in mind, 
You know, when people are looking at the treaty and what it means is you're, you're looking at two different viewpoints almost, um, maybe, you know, or at least interpretations. The book also addresses um, the colour of when you uh, go onto a marae. How helpful were those t- tips and hints that is given in Pokorero? Really helpful. I mean, I'm, I'm not a particularly shy person. Um, I'm quite confident. I like to say hello and meet people. But I also do understand that wa- wandering onto a marae can be quite a, a, a daunting prospect. If you don't feel comfortable with what the traditions are, the customs are, what to do next, it, it can seem quite formal. And, you know, you don't want to step out of line. And I think, I mean, in general, you just need to sort of pay attention, watch what others are doing, um, be aware, use common sense. But I think in the book it talks about the, um, you know, just the different stages that you go through. Some of the pra- one of the things that really jumped out at me was um, koha. Now it might be, I, I guess I still don't really understand the right time where you might wish to offer some for your visit to Marai, especially if you're staying overnight. Mm. But uh, coming from where I come from it, in Scotland, if you stayed at someone and you and you handed them cash, that might be considered a bit rude. But what it was the book the, the point the book makes is at some point you need to do that you know you need to make the offer and it's not rude it would be rude not to and i just thought that's a, you know a fundamental tip that you should you know bear in mind so the book just outlining some of the things that you should you know bear in mind you know don't whip your camera out and start snapping away without asking questions um maybe find the right person to speak to because there will be certain representatives that you know that hold the authority to speak on behalf of that Iwi, you know. Therefore, I, I guess it is. Um, it's important for the reporters, for the journalists, to have some local knowledge. Yeah, and this, the book. Um, I mean, Maori them can be quite daunting for um, someone that hasn't grown up with it. Did you find it daunting? Uh, I still do. But uh, what Why? the book? Well, just because it's so huge and because it's so revered, and because it's important, and you feel you should know about it, and you don't. And, you're a, and I'm a journalist in this country, you know? And so I feel it's something I've got to take on. And what the book does, and I think this is what you're referring to, what the book does is it, it says bite sizes, research your local iwi, you know, find out what their history is. And, and one of the great points it makes is, you know, you can't treat Maori as the same. It's not one big monolithic group of people, you know, it's tribal and I, as a scotsman i do understand tribalism <laughs> but um you know and, and one of the things that i wanted to do um was the oral traditions it, it sp- speaks about this in the book and it's one short chapter about how oral traditions can inform media stories uh, I, I i want to get more into that i'm not quite sure where that goes i don't know the old stories but i just felt that uh, that was something that she was at pains to point out how do you think that would work given the, the arena that you work in. Because it's just not factual. Because it's just not referenced, you mean? Because it's not sound bites. Yeah. It's uh, not going to fit into a three-minute package. Yes, it's not. And the sound bites, she makes the point that uh, sometimes to explain things in Māori can take a time and a half over English and uh, that Māori is maybe not the most soundbite-friendly language. Um, I think you've just... And I think Karalachi makes this point two or three times through the book, you've maybe got to adopt a slightly slower mindset. It's not about jumping in and grabbing your soundboat and getting out. I think you've got to take the time. I think that's what she's at pains that You've got to take the time to maybe listen to the stories, uh, understand um, 
where the elder is coming from, maybe even not carry out the interview at first, you know, just have the conversation, you know, establish a bit of trust, establish where they... Uh, she raises the point that she had a three-hour conversation with one gentleman and the camera crew or the recording crew that were there were, you know, wringing their hands and saying, when are we going to get on with this? But she knew that once she'd finished that conversation, she would then have the interview. And she got all the answers, clean as a whistle, that she needed from the interview afterwards. And she would never have got it had she not listened to the sort of backstory, if you like. Mm. You're listening to Radio New Zealand National, Te Ahika. I'm here with David Reid. We're discussing Pokorero, written by Carol Archie. Carol refers to the use of labels. Whenever you see a crime story, they're always part Māori. Yes, and she said, why not part Pākehā? Yes. Yeah. Um, I thought about that, and I um, I thought that was interesting, and, and I don't know why I'm smiling, because it's so true. Uh, I, I, and, and she also, you know, be careful of, to label someone a terrorist um, or an activist. You know, do you know that they're an activist? Do you actually know that, or did they just attend a rally and speak? You know, the, the, absolutely, very, very true. Um, labels are dangerous, and we're good at labels in the media. You know, we that's that's our stock and trade almost. Um, and uh, again, that just gets back to doing your job um, as a journalist, finding out a little bit more. The guy might not be an activist; he might be a baker. You know, who <laughs> just happens to have a point of view. A baker, father of three. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, and it's too easy to sort of uh, see um, television pictures or hear, um, you know, audio on radio that, that that can suggest one thing too quickly. Did you enjoy the um, the use of experiences that Carol Archie uses in the book? She asked a lot of Māori journalists who have been in the industry for a while um, their experiences of going onto the the marae, having to talk to, sit down and have a cup of tea with somebody before they could do the interview with them? I think it was necessary. I think it was reassuring. I think um, if you know that there was, uh, forgive me if I get her name, Queenie Rikihana? Queenie Rikihana. Yeah. Mm. She, um, th- there was some experience that she had whereby back in the late 70s, she, w- she went to Tangi and, you know, didn't know how she could report or not. And it's that sort of, you know, I mean, she did say, I think it says in the book, times have now changed, and she would say no now, of course. But um, it, it, it was, it, it, was, it helped inform me that it's okay to be a little bit sort of unsure when you're walking onto someone else's environment. Um, and just, yeah, to have those experiences and to say, look, these are the difficulties we have in the newsroom as well, and to look at it from that, that side of the fence, if you like, sort of saying, well... You know, sometimes feel quite isolated in your own newsroom, or the burden of having to speak for a people. You just because you're the one Maori person in that newsroom, and then uh, an issue comes across, and you sort of feel that you have to then represent a people, and and have a different point of view from everyone else in the newsroom. Maybe I think that's quite a a stressful burden to place on one person. So yeah, and that. I enjoyed the experiences, yeah. Have you ever found that as a Scotsman? What, having to speak on behalf of Scotland? Mm. Yeah, but I'm here. There's no one to question me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just say what I like. Um, Yes, yes, people do that all the time. They say, oh, what's it like in Scotland? Or what does Scotland do this? And, of course, you can only give them your own experience and and do the best you can. But, yeah, I, I think perhaps I do relate in that sense that you're very much in the back of your mind thinking, well, I only know so much, really. I mean, I'm from Edinburgh. I only really know about the Edinburgh part. And, 
Yeah. Who do you write stories for? When you go down to cover a story that's related to Māori, who do you write, who do you voice the story for? I probably don't voice it for Māori. Probably not. I don't think that I change my style, and I'm not sure that's a bad thing. Um, but I, yeah, I don't, when I write a Maori story, necessarily have the Maori's perspective in mind. I probably think I'm being objective and telling it straight, whether that's true or not. Um, the book kind of touches on that, doesn't it? It sort of mentions about objectivity and, and the, the frames of reference that you have, and really, are you being objective? Well, yeah. yes, the whole um, the notion of ob- objectivity has, has already been preset over centuries over decades yeah of absolutely journalism. absolutely and and um i don't see uh, you know i i like to think of myself as objective but i am prepared to accept that it's only because it's who i am it's what i know that these are my frames of you know these are my terms of reference this is what i think is objective so yeah there is of course an element of subjectivity there is there are filters on everybody and i can only really bring to it what my past is and what i know and yeah, absolutely. Um, it's hard to um, it's hard to think from another person's perspective. Another culture's perspective is especially hard. But I guess you know the whole book is aimed. At, it's sort of a manual to help you to help you try, you know, to help you sort of peel away the layers of yourself and just have a little look round from another perspective. Ask the right questions. Ask the right people. Carol Archie and Poe Corridor also touches on balance. When journalists, when reporters are covering a Māori story, they tend to go for the Māori spokesperson, but for balance, they consider it a balanced story if they go for a Pākehā perspective. She mentions that maybe a balanced story could also include another Māori perspective. Why not? Yeah. Uh, it's... Um There's no way I can broach argument with that. One thing I might say is that you have to be strong and make sure that you're talking to someone with authority. Make sure it's a valued person that that is going to give you a strong angle. Then when you approach your chief reporter or your um, subs desk and you say, well, um, the reason I use the Maori voice in both people is because, for no other reason, not because they're Maori, because these are the people that are best qualified to talk on the issue. And, And I think that would help gain a sort of a, a balanced viewpoint from both sides using people um, using just Māori. Yeah, why not? How much influence do you think Pau Korero could have for Māori identity? Māori identity? Well, I think it could have a danger that in the future it could be a little outdated. And I'm saying this from my perspective. I want to be clear about that. But I, I don't know that the values of uh, Kalmatoa now are going to be the same in 20 years' time. I I might be wrong. Um, But I I just wonder if the book is... Basing it on the present beliefs and values, how long that will last. In terms of Maori identity, I think that's a little bit of a stretch. I think she's had a decent stab at trying to point out to people what's important. But I don't think anyone should read the book and base their identity on it. True. But this is aimed at people who are reporting on a people, which adds to not not the overall picture of identity, 
but it does contribute. Yeah, well, uh, it certainly it gives people a, a greater insight into the values and beliefs that make up an, an, an identity. Um, and therefore, yeah, I, I think it's essential reading, and I think this is what you're driving at. I think it is essential reading. I think it should be introduced to all journalism courses. I think this book um, would help inform uh, young journalists coming through. These are, this is another angle. You're in New Zealand. This is another angle you need to consider as part of your education, and part of your career. Um, yeah, I do think it's a, an important book. Um, whether it can be used to inform identity, I think that's a little bit dangerous, maybe. Yeah. Um, okay, you are the ideal person for this. I think so. Does Pocorero by Carol Archie satisfy your needs? Yes, yes. I think she's she's had a great stab at it. I think she's moved it on. Um, it is a textbook. It's a handbook. It's readable. Uh, both you and I read practically the whole book in one night. I didn't think I would when I picked it up. Um, it's hugely accessible. I think it's targeted at someone like myself. I think it's targeted at urban Maori who have little experience on a marae. Uh, I think it um, is as I say, very, it sets the scene early in the book. Um, the round section, I, I, I sort of slowed through that. We seem to be... Uh, but it, it is important that if you're going to, to look at different rounds, then you, you should consider that. And then finally, it gets back to just more practical stuff. It doesn't waffle for too much. You know, it gets to the, 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 the last few chapters and says, right, you've got to improve your pronunciation. You've got to have a greater understanding of, uh, of the language, and, and here's how you're going to do it. Um, uh, all the way through, it, it doesn't get too lost in, in semantics. It just takes you back to the point saying, this is what you can do about it. This is how you will take bite, uh, baby steps and will get where you want to go. And I think she's, um, she's succeeded, and good honour. That was David Reid, nor Katarana, reviewing Carol Archie's Pau Korero, a journalist's guide to Māori and current affairs. You're listening to Te Ahika on Radio New Zealand National. As you heard in the book review of Pau Korero, covering Māori issues can be unique in the way that you approach the various stories. As many know, we can be a lot harder on our own. And when you are covering politics for a medium where everyone can critique your work, the final feedback can be more, shall we say, forthcoming. Tina Wycliffe, nor Nati Pro, is the political reporter for Māori Television. She explained to Tiahika what led her to work in the corridors of power in the nation's capital. Growing up in a very politically minded family I guess um, politics was always a discussion a talking point around the table um, my mum was part of a I suppose the 1980s intelligentsia uh, that was a group of um, academics that um, basically became treaty lawyers in the 80s and um, just being around um, them people like Wana Jackson and so forth um, being involved in Waitangi Tribunal claims from a very young age, just observing my mum, you take on a lot um, politically. And um, yeah, land issues was always a huge discussion point for our whanau. So I've always had an interest in politics, the way that um, this House, Parliament, affects our people. And uh, it was inevitable that I should actually you know, end up working here. 
Uh, I'm not a lawyer, although that's what my family initially wanted me to be, and there was a bit of disappointment that I um, turned my back on, on, on the law, but I still feel like, um, you know, um, growing up around lawyers and legal beagles has helped me in terms of my analysis of the legislation that passes through this house and the way it affects our people. What does this place like to work in? Is it, is it a hard place to work? Yeah, it can be. Um, I mean, personalities, politics... At the end of the day, politics is like a popularity contest. So everyone's pretty much motivated by self-interest. And uh, sometimes people don't like the way you report things. Because I've got such a small pool of talent, uh, basically I'm required to tell the Māori news, political news story of the day. I'm, I, I lean heavily on our Māori MPs, obviously, especially the ones that speak Māori. Inevitably that means... Um, cutting out a lot of MPs that don't speak Māori. Um, sometimes they feel like they don't get a fair say on our bulletin. And uh, I guess we're now moving into an era where there's more scrutiny um, from Māori journalists on Māori MPs and they're not used to this new level of scrutiny. And that can be, that can be tough because, um, like I say, it's an election year, everyone's trying to guard their patch. And... Um, they don't like being questioned and they don't want to be challenged. And they just want to, us to regurgitate uh, whatever comes out in their press releases. Um, but our style of reporting on Māori TV, that's, you know, we're not about that. We will challenge every party. You mentioned that some of the uh, other MPs they don't have the reo. So how do you balance it out with, with their point of view? Yeah, we either um, sum up what they have, to, their point of view in, in voiceover. Uh, I don't presume to speak on behalf of uh, MPs at all, um, but that's be- because we actually have a st- statutory obligation to provide uh, a certain percentage of te reo. Uh, my thinking is it's, 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 it's easier just to sum up what they have to say or just use really short and sharp grabs. Um, to the best of our ability, we try and get around to all the parties, but you're right, um, most the parties that get the most coverage are obviously the Māori Party and Labour and New Zealand first get a good go with Peter Prauni. What's been the hardest story for you to cover? Uh, well, it's not really a political issue, um, just for more personal reasons. I think the Gia Tetua story, the three-year-old Wanganui toddler that was shot dead in her house uh, while she was asleep, I think that really um, changed my perspective about our role as Māori media. Why? Well, it was such a sensitive topic. I mean, there was a lot of political... All the politicians were out banging their drums, uh, you know, in terms of solutions for gang violence. But, uh, yeah, it was really difficult for me, I suppose, you know, I mean, I'm a mother of a small child who was the same age, so I felt I could relate at a personal level. Plus, you know... Gangsters. I mean, you t- you, sh- you, t- you show me one Māori that doesn't have whānau and gangs. Um, so, yeah, it's just... It was something that I could relate to, especially since I have in-laws who are patched, up, patched mobsters out in, in Cannons Creek, you know what I'm saying? So um, I could really relate to that story on a lot of, a lot of levels, and I ha- ended up having to... Um, ring my mother for some emotional support and she reminded me that I grew up in a similar circumstance. My dad was a prospector for the mob, um, you know, 
that her story that could easily have been me. So it's yeah, there's that was one story that um yeah I'll never forget. And also because we got um, we got a bit of a grilling from the Pai Pai when we showed up to the Tangi. Um, they the Pai Pai allowed us to Māori media to go on and pay our respects, and we did. There were four of us reporters, but uh, we did get a big uh, grilling for the sins of all media um, by the Pai Pai, who were really basically devastated by the coverage, mainstream coverage of, um, not just mainstream actually, all round, the coverage of um, their mokos' death. And yeah, that's um, one thing that sometimes we forget. It's easy to be almost voyeuristic in your approach to these things. But these are real people. Um, this is a real moko. They were grieving and hurting. And uh, as Māori, eh, we've just got to be, be mindful about not exploiting those sorts of situations. And it can be hard because you have to ask yourself a lot of questions. What am, actually, what am I doing here? So how do you balance that, being respectful, as you say, as Māori, but how do you also do the job well as a journalist? Well, I mean, that's our professional ethic at the end of the day. Yeah, we're Māori and you can never, you can never let go of those values um, and our customs and all of those things. But um, I'm also a reporter. I was there to do a job. There was a lot of public interest around the story. Uh, politically, it was very hot. Um, so I, it would have been irresponsible for us not to cover it, for example. I mean, do we only leave these stories for mainstream? Plus, I suppose because we are Māori, we can get in the door easier. I mean, like I said, it was only four of us Māori genos that went on that day. Uh, there were other media there, but they were all standing out on the side of the road. The invitation was open to them, but they didn't feel as comfortable. And let's put it this way, we weren't at a tea party, there were gangsters everywhere. It was pretty scary. But at the end of the day, we've got our tikanga to lean back on. And uh, I really felt, having gone through the, you know, the marae protocol of being welcomed on and the karanga and all of that, and grieving with the whānau pani, that that protected us, that kept us safe. If anything had happened to us in, in that day, that would have fallen back on the, on the haukainga. So um, in the end, uh, we just did our job, and I, I think haukainga would have been happy with what they saw on TV if they watched it at all. Um, G is Vano, and um, the main thing for us was to try and give that child some dignity and death. Do you think a lot of the um, the audience understands the the responsibilities that come with being a journalist? And do you think a lot of journalists understand the responsibility that come with being Māori? Um, yeah, there have been many occasions, well, a number of occasions where I've had people from the general public, or like you say, my aunts and uncles, or whatever pull me up on an, a number of issues, whether it be the real or the way I've angled certain stories. I think uh, we, we're starting to see a new era in Māori journalism, actually, where we're seeing a new breed of, report, of reporters who aren't so interested in wrapping up our people in bubble wrap or cotton wool. Um, they're asking the hard questions. I think we've moved on from the phase of we should only be doing positive stories. I think at the end of the day, if a Māori is screwing over a Māori, then we're going to tell the story, um, and we're going to we're going to make some challenges. And um, I think ultimately, if there are some issues, for example, in Parliament that I wasn't really questioning, then people will turn around and say, "Well, you're a waste of taxpayers' dollars too." Um, for example, uh, Minister of Māori Affairs, 
uh, seems like every second year we're calling for him to resign. So, you know, I'll go home and people are saying, stop doing that to Parikura, that's really mean. But, they're not, you know, I'm not... It's not a... People think, you know him personally, why are you doing that? How could you turn around and get Peter Sharples on your show and have him call for him to resign? Um, but... Um, yeah, so, you know, people, I think, more and more understanding the role of media in terms of using it as a tool to hold people accountable. But at the same time, we've got a new breed of journalists coming through that aren't just going to do the patsy stories. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not just going to say, well, the politician showed up and the sun was shining and they released this por- report and the government says it's all going to be good for us. We're actually going to look deep at the issue and uh, if there's questions to be raised, then that's our job to do it. So given all of that, um, I, I suppose, pressure um, on us and the way that we report, um, yeah, I've had anecdotally a couple of um, my press gallery colleagues say to me that uh, they think that I've got a hard job coming up ahead. They're not surprised that we've already received a number of complaints <laughs> from political parties or that political MPs are, Māori MPs are already starting to express concern about uh, some of the way that we treat some of um, some of our stories, but um, yeah, uh, like you say, as long as you got your facts right, um, yeah, you just got to go for it. Tina Whitcliffe, nor Nati Parau. Earlier this year, Dr. Rawiri Taunui, nor Napuhi Maniapoto, went for a walk. His walk took him 16 days as he retraced one of the old Ponamu training trails into Waipaunamu. All up, it was a journey of 450 kilometres. So the obvious question to ask him was, why? I teach at, you know, Māori things at university and so on and so forth, and um, uh, I, I believe at the end of the day that a lot of our beliefs are drawn from uh, the close connection our ancestors had with the natural world. And um, I've always had this passion for the outdoors, and I think going into the outdoors um, keeps that side of Māori dim alive as opposed to always teaching th- things through books. Um, and I've done a number of journeys before over um, ancestral trade routes right throughout the North Island, and uh, always had my eye on um, the Greenstone Trails in the South Island, which have their own mystique. So for this trip, I planned uh, one of the longest east-west crossings in the South Island, um, starting from Waito Bar, uh, just outside of Blenheim, which is the oldest archaeological site um, for human remains in New Zealand, Um, and then traversing through the southern, the Kaikoura Ranges and part of the Southern Alps uh, to the mouth of the Arahuta River, which is one of the most important... um, Greenstone Trading Rivers. So how long have these uh, routes been in use for? Um, well, the Greenstone Trails, uh, the archaeological evidence for trade in Greenstone goes back uh, 500 to 700 years. When was that, When were they um, last used? Probably uh, not since the um, middle 1800s, I think. And, and the, the South, when the South Island was colonised, uh, there was quite a significant impact here with um, disease and also with uh, warfare with North Island tribes. And so the trade in Greenstone and using the passes, uh, the Greenstone passes and trails for those purposes probably declined significantly during the 1800s. 
although um, for different other purposes, they were still being used probably into the 1900s, I think. So these trails, were they clearly defined? Were they clear clearly, clearly defined? Um, there's probably 30 um, passes, 20 to 30 different passes uh, through the northern Kaikoura ranges in the southern Alps. Um, and they're well known in tribal traditions and oral law, and you know they they're, they're well known in different places. The trails are are well known, and you can still see evidence of old tracks and things like that. So this journey took you sixteen days, over four hundred and fifty kilometres. Yes. What were you thinking along the way? Well, I, f- I find it a, a very humbling experience because, um, particularly when you're on your own, your intimacy and uh, familiarity with um, uh, natural forces becomes much greater. You know, you sort of your senses become really attuned to what waters, river, the weather's looking like, and and so on. And um, you know. Today you, you do it with a lot of modern equipment and you know good boots and Gore-Tex coats and packs and dry food and all sorts of things. And uh, I, I find it very humbling when you think about the um, equipment that our ancestors had. It was it was far more basic. And in a lot of these places, uh, particularly getting up into the South Island mountains, I mean, there are real risks from uh, weather and rising rivers and things like that. And you just come away with it with nothing but admiration, really, and um, I think it helps centre centres one's being a bit. Were there any of the uh, old, uh, how do I put this, tricks of the trade that you use, that um, our tūpuna used, was there anything that you employed? Oh, there's a few things, like, um, I mean, this might sound funny in New Zealand, but you you have to um, know how to spot fresh water. Um, You know, there's a lot of um, cattle ranching up in... Um, some of the higher plateaus um, in the South Island, and you know, there's a lot of a lot of pollution in rivers, and so you need to know how to spot springs and things like that. I, I did have uh, one really good um, experience, and just towards the end, I was running out of the um, dry food that I'd taken with me, running out of all food really, and um, I came across this um, grove where there was a very very clear um, natural spring. It was probably the clearest water I've ever seen it was just on the other side of Arthur's Pass and um, next to it was a really large grove of um, kyokyo ferns and um, it was just I'd never seen such a um, beautiful, uh, such a large beautiful and absolutely fresh grove and of course you can eat the shoots off those and so I sort of stopped there and had quite a big lunch uh, mixing those up with the last packet of instant soup so you've done all this preparation, you'd researched the trail, but were there some things that you didn't actually, or that you didn't know until you'd actually undertaken this trip? Well, every every, uh, every route has got its own challenges. I mean, um, one of the things that threw out um, my plans is uh, there was a, a really bad piece of weather right in the middle, and... Um, just torrential rain, and I, I think like Arthur's Pass, the main highway got washed out that day, and uh, I was up quite high and uh, got sort of stuck for two days, uh, just on top of Arthur's, Arthur's Pass, uh, the Taramako Pass, and um, you know that wasn't planned, and you just have to sort of live and adapt to that, um, you know. But that that was that was um, pretty much thing, that things went pretty smoothly overall, actually. And that included using a mountain bike for the last seventy odd. Oh well, it, the uh, yeah, the the weather um, 
Um, the weather delay um, meant that I, I got behind time, and of course, um, uh, one likes to dwell in the traditional world, but the modern world has timetables, and I was due back at work. So when I came out uh, on the other side of Arthur's Pass, out on the west coast, um, I had to contact my support people, and I finished the last. Uh, 60, 70 kilometres on a mountain bike. So, um, yep, that wasn't planned. And um, but uh, um, that, that turned that turned out to be um, quite good as well because uh, when I got down to the Atahuta River, um, the plan then was to go to the coast, and uh, you know, so I'd bike down to there and uh, got there around sort of midday. And um, the only access to the coast is over private land. And so I went to one of the um, houses nearby and it happened to be the house of uh, Kaumatua from Ngāti Waiwai, who were tangata whenua. And so uh, he and I walked out to the coast together. So that just turned out to be exactly the right way to finish things. And um, he allowed me to um, uh, take take some pieces of greenstone you know, as a sort of memento for my journey. It was good. And I understand this um, hikoi has been dedicated to the memory of a friend. Yes, uh, a man by the name of uh, Anton Wopiri, who was a Pākehā mountain climber, and um, he was a guide in Antarctica and um, had climbed Mount Everest and things like that. Uh, He and I climbed uh, Mount Cook together um, in 2000. We were part of quite a large party making an ascent there and uh, it was in really difficult conditions and uh, six of our crew withdrew about two-thirds of the way up and Anton and I continued on and uh, we met two climbers who came up another route, Uh, you know we could see each other across the mountain and just as we were below the summit uh, they got hit with an avalanche and uh, dropped 30 metres off a bit of a bluff. and uh, he and I climbed down and, and had to organise the rescue as one of them was um, you know, injured and he wasn't going to get down and um, they were at real risk of life really um, because of that avalanche. And uh, that was, you know, he was a, a very nice man, very humble sort of a man and, and to my mind he had a wairua, the sort of wairua we respect and Māori people were very humble and um, so on and so forth. Um, and at the beginning um, of this year, he was um, he was killed in a fall on on Mount Cook, and it just seemed to be uh, the right thing to dedicate this hikoi to his memory. So I felt good about that. Dr. Aori Tanui, no Napohi Maniapoto. Kia ora, I'm Tane Tuta, and you're listening to Tiahi Ka on Radio New Zealand National. This show and past episodes are available for podcasting at radioNZ.co.nz forward slash Tiahika. Over the years, the month of May has been a time to celebrate New Zealand music. So for the next four weeks, our archival segment, Naotonga Corridor, will do just that. In 1982, singer Prince Tuiteka no Tuhoi spoke to Pūrewa Biddle, also of Tuhoi, about his life, his papa kainga, growing up in Ruatoki, and what led him into the world of entertainment. Ko tūmana ko teka e muhotiana ara ko Prince Tuiteka. 
petana weta tua finua e fakarara ni harena ina inua arai rotu ite no hanga ona rupu tua ite mutu ata ite huki ina karanga maunga ona irotu irua tahuna e karanga chana ira tahu te tua finua e na iwe te mutu te na nora ko te fakarono mai ne gia tata kore ro tira te na nuhi ko te ite hau ta te wai tua huri nua te mutu kura ta ura ko tangi hia kwa tuita keto ki te hunga mate ki ara ta 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 te hunga ra ki ata ta uti he mauriora ka faya ki te kai pa pokoro mo te ni ra ni na ara ki te tangata nei ki a tuiteka mo te a hua ona mahi iroto te o fakanga hau hono he ko ki ki te koro ni na te wa ya ya i ti puake iroto i te nei te na ki fakaro ta ta ki a tu mo te a hua te ti mo tata na mai o tana mahi fakanga hau ka te ka no be he fakaro ai ngaria noi paku paku to nyo tsono ki ahua kauru mai wena mahi ki ahua mahi waiata nei mahi prev katangi tangi ya hau ki te kai ko tak pa pa hoki an i yorata u time an e pene hoki to rata an e prei prei sex hoki ai nana to nyo ki ai ya ko mai prei sex an na te mea hoki e katangi tangi kai kai do te fare Tiki no noatu na ko tarai hoki ki te preyane tamariko ki te ra taima hau te tu hale no e hata ka tangitanga kapo hia te ko hau te tu hale no reira no reira ka puta mai pe ki a hau te te mohio ki te te preyo ka tangitanga o ki te mahi waiata pe ai taima tonu ki a hale na te kura mina o ki na mahi tera time he hak ko hauto no gite me me ya tuki hai ayara hina na hakai wera time ana mai reira kinae ni kaido tonu ya hai wera wera ha mahara tanga pe hakera ni ko wale wale hokia ni la wano na koro pa ka ina yene akwa hu wale wale hale hoki ha ha ya no reira raga kauru mai ya kore ra wa kenya we fakaro o kore ra wa kenyi i yuru mai ya hai te mo hiwa na yene kauru ki we nei mai te mai wai ya taki te mai nga hau tangat na akene no no mai no tera tai mo ano ka homa ia tera wai ru ka hau ana kinaye ne pe au ka we moi atere ge fai ge tai wa i ti mata mai ko i ai tredia ina mai nei ala i te mahi ra i mo te tangata a mo te mo te mahi a wai ata fakana hau te na mai we ko ro mai i to hai te na gi ra ha ko i tai gi ra ai ai a ke mo jake nei te ne kai te mo hi o tonu hoki ko i taku papa ne to akai na tena tena maori hoki a ha ho maroki ke ni hoki wa na ha te no maori o te jokes a ha ko ina ke kore lo paki a ko ina ana ko ina hoki te tahi tangate tino maroki ke ni mo te kore lo paki ena ri a ka hemoge ni ko i te katahana ka ka ko no reira pe a ka uru mai ya hau wera wera maroketanga ha ke anyway ha ya wera a ya hau oh maoko monti ena i hamutana ra mai wa mai ena ha ra mai te circus 
fifi mahi mawai ro toka hale mau ki ahi treiri ani ki lei ro kua hale ki na paati ana kua wai ata hoki ana kua mea mai na paake ao lei ra ha kua kua ne hale ki to wai ata hale na hotera ana kui na hoki te mate o te maori hala mai te pui e fakama kua huna hale ke hoki e ngai kua hua ki te pukui te na mea wera ra e tama ko tara peke peke hale ke hoki ana no no lei ra kua kua kaha hale te kua te wai ngai nui te kua Pakeha me te kita waia tadi a rata ana ka karongo hia hai we we te hona me kurat na rata na hotela me me ka ki hala te kita waia tai ana no reira ko tima tai ana e toru mata ana me he mata ko teino maori chubalos a rata ko maori o te chubalos e karore pea Wina lo be Maori karores, aku itu me me peranu, aku tak cari mau cima tomato itu wajah tahari na hotel, no no hotel awa, aku kau dua cewu, aku kita kita ni masih eh masih wajat, aku no masih dia kau haji kilo tu na TV, nari ya. Enak ya, nunut itu nunggu na TV orang. Kau dua cuai hoki ya. Enak noreda kau dua lagi na TV, kena night club ya, na mahiwayat kau dua cuai. Kahiyak kene, kahiyat tau kene ya. Enak orang cuai naik naik wayat tahai dia. Kau kima ya ki kini uci dia ni ni. Kita haratai. Kini kai wasatau kai lah nama. Kai na kai fukarerei wayu na kai na kotero na. Kanga pila, kanga pilo kegi we tahi Kia hau e kanga pila He ratin raho kia hau e pila utonu kia hau Puha, we rā kai katoa Hoki mai ki nui tere ni rā nau kai ai we rā kai Ia koe e mahinei wu mahinei kuna ka tapaina koe nei nā Ko te prince, tēnā mai wha ka mālama mai Hehei tapaina koe i te rāinoa Ua tō mātau tīmatahana Tria, ua e tōru hoki mātā Ka kimihare mātou tahino, ki tahino ai, au gau moe atau ka pākea, kia hai publicity, hea hea wera, hai hanoa, hai hea, kia mohi ono mai mara atau, hai, aua. Kia mōtia ake ki te rai? A, koi nāpe. Te kahara mai, ka mea hai, wā, me mea pea, Tehino mo ko te Maori warrior, ha kareiti no pai te te fakalomatu i te Maori warrior, no kare e suit e pai ne, kare ngā kamea kamea no te tahi wao peheke me me pirini prince of entertainment me perake ao katraihia mata. Advertise here, the Prince of Entertainment, Prince Tui Teka. But the Harake the Teka ra yahu idera terawa. He la tuike. You do a talki mata gite ta he show ano, and he island show ne. You do a talki mata na kamehi kia hua pera kato na ino kia hua island ne. Ana kamehi ato he LA kimua ya tui ana kwa la tui. Ana tui Prince Tui la tui. 
Prince Tuiteka speaking there with Pūrewa Biddle. Don't forget you can email any feedback or questions to us. The email address is tiahika at radionz.co.nz. That's T-E-A-H-I-K-A-A. Ane te whakamarama a te whakatauki Through everyone's individual contribution, we will all benefit. He mihi mahana ki ngā kākōrero e tēnei wiki, ngā mihi ki a kautakato. Ki te whanau kei konei, ngā kai rā wikiwiki mihini, ngā tangata ke roto i te whare pokapuka me te kai waiata ngā mihi. Ko tāne rautu te tēnei, he mihi atu ki a tātou katoa, hei a te rā wiki, mauri ora.